You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Christopher Media, let's make some noise. Anything with that disreputable lack of gloss. Normal people don't want to see it. (laughs) They would only show that past midnight, and it was the most disgusting thing I'd ever seen. Like the double size box that where you you open it up and it has like padding around it. VHS, you know, can't hit the ground and it'll smash into a million pieces. 90s, let me just think about the 90s. Holy crap, what movies did I do in the 90s? Oh yeah. They were just, you know, blasting cocaine the whole way through. It's still uh, a pretty pretty unique experience. Most cult films were were enjoyed in kind of an altered state, which I think is, which I think makes a lot of sense. Didn't matter how silly the movie was or whatever, you know, they were going to put their all into it and that stands out. You know, it's like, I didn't want to watch BMX Bandits 50 times in my life, but I had no choice because it was always on cable. Everybody wanted to write the great American novel when I was young. Now everyone kind of wants to make the great American movie. You wouldn't have said five years ago that a Netflix miniseries would influence the culture. The technology that can bring a cult film into your house at the, you know, like, snap of your fingers is a really great thing. Who knew that movies would find a, you know, just now a sixth or seventh home, you know? There's always gems and things to be discovered. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I am your host, Mike White. On this episode, I am talking to Bill and Kyle, the co-directors of Survival of the Film Freaks. It is a new documentary all about the let's say the life cycle of cult film and where it started and where it is at these days. It's been a very wild ride over these last 20 years or more, and you're about to hear a little bit more about that. As a co-producer on this film, I will admit that I didn't even know a lot of the stuff that went on behind the making of the movie, so this was an educational experience for me as well. So please kick back and enjoy this interview. How did you meet? How does Bill and Kyle, how do they come together and, and form this partnership? A long time ago in a convention far, far away. Kyle was making a documentary called Phantasm, which was a documentary. Well, he can tell you more about that momentarily. But um, he was connected with me through another uh, mutual friend with this documentary he was making. And they said, oh, Bill hosts a podcast. Uh, and they go to this convention every year. So they would be him and his co-host, Chris, would be really good guys to talk to for the documentary. So I uh, got hooked up with Kyle that way. And that's kind of how we first met. And he made the documentary and it was awesome. And uh, I got a couple of really good one-liners in it, so I was memorable enough to to be remembered. <laughs> and uh, uh, we just kept in touch, and you know, I kept up with uh, what he had going on with the doc. And then, you know, when it was finished the next year, I was like, "Hey, how about outside the cinema sponsors the world premiere at the, that it was recorded at?" So we just kind of kept in touch, and he came and hung out at our table, and we just, you know, we, then we became friends through that. So that was like our initial meeting, I think, unless I missed something. No, no, that I mean, that was exactly it. I mean, I, I was, you know, this, this convention documentary I did, Phantasm, was, you know, it was a, it was my thesis film for film school and also something that I sort of like, that sort of became bigger than that. 
you know, like I, like I raised funds through Kickstarter and because the horror convention community is so vocal, um, and so like, uh, community oriented, the word sort of got out there and it sort of became bigger than, than what it was. So I had, um, we had a mutual friend, uh, who was suggesting a lot of people to talk to with the various conventions that I was filming at. And, uh, Bill was one of them. And that was, you know, that was how that worked out. And, um, yeah, it was one of those things. It's like, you know, I, I've, I, it was, it was just something that was bigger than what it was intended for, which is such a blessing because obviously it led to something like what we're doing now, you know, by nature, the type of people that Bill and I are like, we, we remained in contact. We kept, you know, kept tabs on what we all were doing until it was time to reconnect for, for this shindig. What year are we talking about, Kyle? When did you start this project and when did you eventually end Phantasm? Phantasm started in September of 2012. Basically what had happened was I had gone to a horror convention that was not up to snuff. And like my, I had like a weird emotional reaction to it. Like I was like (laughs) more than I expected. So I was like, I had to sort of ask myself like, Hey, why the hell are you so upset that this one convention that you've never been to in your entire life, like totally like ruins like your couple of weeks. And I realized it was because like every other convention I'd been to had been like really wonderful and beautiful and like had this spirit about it. So I was like, Oh, I guess I'm going to make a movie about what that, what that is. Um, so that started in September, 2012. I, I met Bill October of that year at the convention at rock and shock in Worcester, Massachusetts. That was the convention that I filmed, uh, that we filmed our interview at. And then the film concluded, it was supposed to only be 20 minutes or less for my like class, uh, requirement. And it ended up being, uh, a 50 minute semi feature doc, uh, that I would later put out. And it was, over by november 2013 so bill how do you go from i mean you've been doing the outside the cinema podcast for what over 10 years now yeah this uh this january will be 11 years so how did you decide i want to make a documentary and want to make it with kyle or did kyle come to you with this idea how did the initial idea of survival of the film freaks come to be the idea for Survival of the Film Freaks came from a conversation I had with uh, Adam Green, who's the director of Hatchet and Frozen and a number of other things at the Rock and Shock Horror Convention. It may have actually been the same year that I met Kyle. I'm not entirely sure, but there was um, he has had this film Frozen that was coming out, and it had leaked onto the internet and hit a bunch of different torrent sites. So he's like at the convention and he's like freaking out and he's in this really bad mood. And we're, I'm I'm not going to say we're like, we're not like friends, but like we know each other. And at the time we had done a couple things together, been on the podcast and stuff. So we knew each other. So I was just like, Hey, what's, what's the problem? And he's telling me about how the film had leaked to the internet and all these different tour sites are down. It's downloading hundreds of thousands of times and all these different things. And, so being a guy that did a cult cinema podcast, I knew a lot about torrenting and downloading and finding films in different ways because so many of the films that we cover were out of print or were no longer like available through like the normal means. And you kind of had to go through that, like what is like the modern day version of tape trading to find, to find some of these movies. So we were just like, having this conversation in this back and forth and he was, um, Obviously, you know, because his, you know, his new film that had gotten really good reviews and people were looking forward to is just bleeding itself out on the internet. 
and he's not making any money and his crew's not making any money. So he's at this, you know, doom and gloom. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe there's a bright side and we're you know, trying to look at things in shades of gray and stuff. And so I got this idea of like, you know, this is how cult films are born now. It's not the way it used to be where like it's all midnight screenings or like, you know, uh, a second rate laser disc from a Japanese import is ordered through the back of a magazine. There's just this different world now for movies and how they get to people. So I kind of just put that in the back of my head, but really about a little over two years ago now, you know, we've been doing OTC at that point, almost 10 years. And I'm like, we've reviewed hundreds of different cult films. Some of them are a cult of one, you know, it's not even like uh, big cult films, just like all these different movies. And I was like, I kept thinking about how, how it's different now and how so many of these films that we have then brought to our listeners through these other ways of like, you know, whether we find it on the internet or, you know, uh, and even just the, even the changes just in the 10 years we've done the show have gone from like, you know, everything has to be on DVD and then it's Blu-ray and then it was downloading. And now there's so many amazing streaming services. I'm like, there is this really like interesting story to tell about the life of a cult film and kind of where it begins when it hits this format and then it hits this format and kind of where we're trying to go with the digital age. Uh, so that was like the idea. And then I just kind of sat down one day and I'm not, I don't consider myself a writer in any way. Like I'm not a writer. So like, I just kind of wrote this stream of conscious that ended up being about, I don't know, like five or six pages of like one paragraph, like minimal punctuation, massive spelling errors. And I just kind of like let all this stuff go out. And I'm like, this is, this is a good, I think a great idea for a documentary. So I don't know anything about making a movie. I've never, attempted to do anything like that other than like live broadcasts that we did for the podcast. So, you know, I pieced together some stuff of like, for like online screenings and stuff like that. But Kyle obviously being a friend and I'm like, well, you know, let me, let me talk to Kyle about this because I always really liked phantasm and we, we, you know, grew this friendship out of, you know, that project. So I was like, well, I think Kyle and I could work well together. So I, I called him up and said, Hey man, I don't know if you're interested or not. Um, I know you did a documentary and you got other stuff going. Cause Kyle had actually moved to LA by this point from Connecticut to LA. So we were on different coasts. So right away before we even start, I'm already throwing like a big roadblock in there. So I was just kind of like, Hey, um, let me send you this stuff. I get this idea. Here's what I'm thinking. Take a look at it. If it sounds interesting, uh, let's talk about really trying to do it. And I think that's kind of where Kyle came into the picture. I wasn't super keen on doing another documentary, but like that was partly due to the, bright lights, big city attitude of, of Los Angeles that I, I sort of, that everybody sort of just comes to in their own way. And I think that I was ready to not sort of ride the coattails of Phantasm. I think that there's a lot of people who ride coattails of, of things out there, but I was, I was apt not to be one of them. And I was like, oh, that means I'm not going to do another doc. Like I, I shut a lot of doors in my mind that should have been open. And I think that Bill, when he came to me with the, you know, four or five pages of it was not nonsense, despite what, <laughs> what he might say. It was, it was uh, James Joyce's Ulysses for cult cinema. Um, it was beautiful. He, he sort of came to me with the idea. And, you know, I, I, I come from a, a horror film lover background. So, you know, there's a lot of overlap between cult and horror because both, both genres or both categories sort of thrive off of uh, communal appreciation and, communal involvement so there happens to be a lot of you know crossover between the two and so when he's talking about 
sort of what it means to like discover and find these things and how technology changes that it all sort of clicked for me and i was like okay i'm i'm in this is a story that we can tell and so i got i got pretty excited about it and i was like yeah the 3000 mile away obstacle is going to be <laughs> kind of uh just that it's going to be the obstacle that that we think it's going to be but i think both of us were sort of passionate enough and and not for anything but like working with somebody who was not in los angeles at that time was also really appealing to me like i i was I, it's it's los angeles is a, a particular vibe one that like having only living there lived there two years at the time was like really hard to grasp so like it was great that like a familiar face and somebody who was like passionate about something but not within the same thing like within the same environment was like coming up with this project so i was like hell yeah let's let's go for it like let's just let's do the damn thing and i think bill had the same go get him attitude which really is what threw this thing into outer space man like this this is what sort of started started it all so how did that original document that bill put together and that you read kyle how did that change from that point to what we finally see on screen not as much as you might think i think that you know there's there's a toss-up when it comes to documentary where you can it'll either go exactly the way that you expect or it'll go totally like off the wall like this is not where you were going at all and you just went with the flow and this is how it happened i think that ultimately the documentary almost clarified what that document was it was like if i take bill's description of it uh as being sort of a a stream of consciousness thing this documentary really um honed that in and almost made this its thesis it made what those five pages meant and it made it coherent not that i didn't think it was coherent before as i said but like it made it (laughs) it, you know it it just it, it transformed what bill had been percolating on for not just the, the couple of years that you wrote this, but honestly, the, you know, the 10 or 11 years that, you know, Bill had been reviewing cult cinema, the however many years that we have all been watching movies, you know, this is this is more than just. So I guess it did transform in that way when you realize that it's not just the couple of years that you're thinking about how technology changes cult, but it's more the generations that you go through film viewing and reviewing and sharing and discussing like it's more than just what was on that paper it made it coherent but also sort of grew into something that was more rounded you got the idea you two are both on board what are the next steps how do you say okay now how are we going to bring this project to fruition Uh, we asked our wives (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was really the most important part. <laughs> it, it's especially because I, I was in a, a work situation where I had been working on a receiving doc uh, and I was just miserable. And it was one of those things where they were like, oh, hey, listen, everything's changing. Would you want to switch your hours to a schedule that's not going to be conducive to what your life is? Or would you like to take, uh, you know, a voluntary layoff? And just with my the way my home, the timing and the scheduling of my home life, and I had left a position at another company because the schedule didn't allow me to be home with my family at the times that I, you know, should be home with my family. 
So I took the layoff and it was the timing. And so I went to my wife and was like, Hey, listen, this is the opportunity. I think that I need to take, and I might never ever get a chance to, to do something like this again. So, you know, with your blessing in terms of like knowing that the next couple of years might be a little crazy deciding what we want to do, uh, is it cool? And, and she was on board and I know Kyle essentially had kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. So once we got the kind of, you know, like the family blessings, it was like, okay, how do we actually do this? And how do we do it, you know, within a budget that we're going to be able to, to, uh, you know, work with. So, uh, one of the first things we did was we kind of laid out a master list of who we thought would be good and who we, who we thought we could really actually get. And luckily we have, uh, some people that we, we leaned on and that was another part of it. And one of them was you, Mike with being like, Hey, listen, we've been friends for a while. We know you, each other's work ethic. What do you think about helping out? And, you know, we were really lucky to have you on board early to help us out with getting some interviews and getting some connections. That was like really the first, the kind of the first steps. Once we were able to actually kind of get, yeah, this person will do it. We were like, okay, cool. We can do this next step, you know, plan some travel. All right. Where are we going to get the money? Bring in somebody that's going to help us out with some travel expenses. And then boom, we had that first trip booked. Did we had interviews with Ted Ramey, Jeff Nelson for Scream Factory and a, couple, a number of other people that we were like, okay, this is like the real, it's really going to happen. Is it true that this entire documentary was funded by mob money? Not entirely true, but, you know, like, uh, partially, like, urban legends, like, true, like, sort of go down in history sort of situation where nobody really knows, but, yeah. Now, Bill, I know that you've interviewed people in person somewhat on the podcast a lot more. Kyle, you were interviewing people when it came to Phantasm. How was that doing your guys' first interview? How was it going out and meeting Ted Ramey? I'm absolutely a trial by fire guy. So outside the cinema, rewind about uh, nine and a half years. We land our first face-to-face -face interview with somebody. We'd done a couple interviews over the phone, but our first face-to-face -face interview was with Bruce Campbell. So that's trial by fire. Cause if you, I, I don't know if you've ever met Bruce Campbell, but like he is one of those, you turn the microphone on and he turns on the Bruce Campbell and it's boom, it's Bruce Campbell. I'd been through that before, so it wasn't necessarily that big a deal. I actually really, I really enjoy interviewing people. I feel like that's one of the strongest things I was able to lend to the project is I feel like I have really good interview skills with people. So, but, but like, so the first interview that we do for this movie, as you said, is Ted Ramey. And we did it in LA uh, at our friend Jim Coons' studio, which I'm sure Kyle will talk about a little bit more in a minute. But he comes in and he's this like, ball of fire what's going on what are we doing we're going over here all right you know who got the podcast you did the podcast you know want me to do the podcast what are we talking about what's happening and he's going like a million miles an hour but you know once we got him settled in and we sat down and we started talking and like he realized that he was going to be able to talk about things that he wanted to talk about and not just be like hey your brother directed spider-man that's pretty sweet like it was like right. he kind of got in this zone um still crazy manic mad fun uh i can let kyle tell the story because i know exactly what story we're going to talk about yeah, and yeah, we yeah. probably should bring it up before we get to that i mean it was just to touch on the sort of the first interview uh jitters for lack of a better term i mean we're in jim's studio and and if, if i'll just to shine a little light on jim i mean he does the special features for almost like he builds the discs he does like everything for so many of the physical media companies that we like know and love like 
all the all the Severin stuff. You know, it's just he is he is a, a beautiful man, but he will never ever tell anybody otherwise. So it was like a huge blessing to sort of go in and be able to shoot in his studio. But that also means that like we have to get our shit together. So it's like we're amping, you know, like we're amping each other up like on the way there. And we're also like trying to figure out what our first interview is going to look like. I mean, we have our list of questions that we're going to like ask. Bill's really good just off the cuff. Like I'm trying to figure out what a lighting setup looks like, you know, like just, just general jitters and first, you know, first shot stuff. But, you know, we get, we get everything laid out. Again, Ted is huge. We have our friend Jack Bennett with us, who is just like, you know, just good to have sort of as, uh, like as our backup, you know, like, and Jim was there too. He was at that time, I think he was doing the transfer for Amsterdam and he, he showed us some like, great, like it was, it, it was awesome. It was just like, he's just, you know, in his office doing work or whatever. But, you know, we're, we, we sit down, we get everything set up. We're doing the interview. It's going well. Like Ted's like really into it. Bill's really into it. We're all, we're all there. We're all, this is sort of like a, this weird magical moment, you know? But, you know, at some point we have to take, you know, take a little bit of a break, let stuff cool down, you know, offer, offer Ted some water. And he's at some point he asks for if anybody has like any gum or mints or whatever. You know, I usually carry around just like a little tin of Altoids or whatever. So I was like, yeah, I got, I have some Altoids and he has like a little side table where he puts his water and stuff. So I was like, I put him on the side table for him at one point. He, so he, he takes a, he takes a mint and he, you know, munches on it or whatever. And then he immediately almost goes and takes another and I'm like, okay. And you know, he's just like, at some point, I don't know how many he had before he says this, but he does at some point go, Oh man, these are really good. <laughs> As if, <laughs> Like, and I, I know that's probably not exactly what he said. This, this, this story sort of takes on a life of its own at some point, but <laughs> he's, I mean, it just kind of took us off guard. Like everything, he was so, you know, fluent and just in, intellectual about the stuff that he was talking about. And then he reacts to an Altoid as if he's never eaten an Altoid before. And it just really took us aback. And we're like, yeah, wow. Yeah, for sure. And then through the last half of the interview, anytime he can, he's taking an Altoid out of, the case and to the point where the top of it breaks off and I'm left with maybe two Altoids out of a full can at the end of the interview. We've all had Altoids. Those are strong mints. That's not just like, you know, like a a stick of gum. Those are like, those are intense mints and he's eaten them three or four at a time. Like candy, dude, like candy. And it's just like, I mean, I don't know. We're, we're sort of in the mode at this point, you know, we're not really noticing these things. This is all, this is all remembering stuff back being like, Oh man. And like watching the footage and stuff and seeing him like pick up mints and stuff. You're like, Oh my God, he ate almost a whole tin of Altoids in the last, not even over the course of the full interview, the last like 20 minutes. Yeah. Like the last part of the interview. It's, it was, he was, he was a madman, but damn, was he a fun interview. And it it like really kicked things off for us, like on a good, on a good note. And it's nice too, because Ted Ramey at the time, like even now, me, like he doesn't do a lot of documentaries. So he was one of those guys that it was like, he's a face that's super recognizable that everybody likes and respects. And also like, you know, not in a hundred documentaries. Yeah. So it was really, it was really good. And I had a moment 
uh, which is kind of funny too, when we sat down, cause like, again, I've never made a movie. I've never really been part of anything other than what Kyle did. So <laughs> we get in there and Kyle's like, Oh, we got to set up the lights. And I'm like, Oh, there's lights. <laughs> <laughs> and so like he, we get the seat set up and I'm sitting in the sitting in the seat and then turns the lights on and then he flips the thing and I'm like, Oh, that looks so much better. <laughs> cause I had no idea. Well, did he know I kept the lens cap on the whole time? (laughs) Full disclosure to the audience, you guys mentioned that you had come to me and asked for a little bit of help. And so I will say, like, there were times where I would touch base with you guys, but I wasn't in constant contact or anything. So when you would, you know, like, I helped out a little with, like, uh, Lloyd Kaufman and Graydon Clark. That's all I really remember. And then, like, all of a sudden, one day, it was like, oh, uh, we've got the rough cut. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that day, too, when you were like, how's things going? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to send you a version of it right now. And you're like, wait, what? So what was that like? Are you guys out there traveling and shooting and, and just, you know, really scraping and putting this thing together? I, I'm going to be honest. We had a really good time. And yeah, we did. Kyle and I were friends beforehand, but, like... Like we really grew a really close bond and friendship through the making of this film. And it was mm-hmm. so nice because like we worked so well together. It was almost yeah. scary at points where it was kind of like, uh, when why are we going to drop? Like, yeah. Like why, why are we getting along so well? Like it, it was great. We just had some amazing like conversations and just a really fun trips. Just, we had, when we drove out to, um, uh, meet William Sachs uh, out in uh, was it out in what was it, Mesa or uh, Dude, where I don't know I don't know where he was but we were out there <laughs> yeah William Sachs lives literally in the middle of the desert in California but like we just like had this like amazing trip where we just kind of like drove and like there's like nothing and just talking about movies and Kyle finally found out that Michael McDonald was the singer in the Doobie Brothers. Because apparently he didn't know that. So, <laughs> sorry, you know I had to put that out there. Had to, yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> this guy sounds a lot like Michael McDonald. That's that's because it is, Kyle. <laughs> like, we had a really good time. And it was weird, too, because, like, every time there would be something where I'm like, oh, you know, I really wish that we'd get this done. Or I feel like we should get this done. Then Kyle will be like, oh, hey, I'm sending you such and such. And it would be like the thing that I was just thinking about. And I know that happened vice versa the other time where Kyle would be like, oh, we should uh-huh. like, we were, we're working on the montages. And I'm like, oh, well, here's four minutes of clips from trailers pieced together. You know, use this. And like it was just this almost like unspoken like like yeah. <laughs> workflow that we had. It was just so unexpected, but it, it just it worked out so well. And um, I'm really glad that uh, it's doing well now, too, because it, it all seems validating for like the – ifs and buts that we were going through to this point you know we we did hem and haw a little bit i mean this is this is sort of a big undertaking you know it was you know um in my mind i wasn't like super ready to do a documentary for you bill this was your first film ever and i think that there's like i mean just as any I, i mean and this goes for anybody i mean anybody would tell you that like going into a film you ask yourself a lot of like well am i even doing this right and I mean, I think for a documentary, you probably ask it even more, like, because you're like, how many times has this talk topic been talked about? Like, what can we bring different? And I think that, like, we knew off the bat we could bring something different, 
But I think as you, you know, as you film more and you do more interviews and you sort of gather all the material, you start to like almost be overwhelmed by it. And I think the good thing was that like we both had each other to sort of like bounce us back to reality. But there were times when it was just like, damn, man, like we're doing this. But like, should we be doing this? You know, it was like it was it was crazy, you know, but it was like it was so good to sort of have each other's back on that. And uh, we did we did read each other really well, even, you know, for most of the part being 3000 miles away. It was like we both it was sort of it was kismet. Like we both knew what this was supposed to be and how it was supposed to be done. And we did it. We only probably took three or four trips together, like three or four weekends, long weekends where we're interviewing people. But all of that added like is what you see in the documentary i mean besides like maybe a couple you know b-roll trips separate or a couple like lone interviews or whatever all of what you see is what we've what we've done together uh in all those trips tell me a little bit more about the editing who ended up doing the editing or how did that collaboration come together when we kind of first started looking at this we were like all right cool so we're going to do this we're going to do all these interviews we know we're going to have at least 20 interviews i think we ended up with like 23 or 24 by the time we were done and we knew we were gonna have a bunch of b-roll and all this other stuff so we were like okay we neither of us were like i mean i obviously wasn't and kyle's like my editing is you know it's elementary at least it's what he thought at first uh so we're like, oh, okay. And a bunch of people were like, you will want to hire an editor for something like this because if you get a good editor attached to it as you submit to festivals, you're going to have more people who look at it if there's a certain name attached. You know, I mean, you know how all those politics work. So uh, when we were done filming, our final interview that we did was Joe Bob Briggs, and we're like, all right, cool. We can kind of start to put this together. So Kyle and I kind of laid out the time, not the timeline, but the, well, yeah, yeah, the timeline of the film and, you know, what we thought was going to go where, what this part should be, you know, like almost down into chapters. And Kyle was like, okay, well, I'm going to kind of break it down, gather it together. I wrote out all of the um, time codes. It was like 30 something pages of time codes of the stuff that I thought would work. And then, you know, so Kyle took those and put it together and then, he was like, all right, cool. I think I got all the stuff together for the segment on the 70s, and he would send me that. And then like uh, a couple weeks later, be like, all right, this is a segment on stuff we talk about, the 80s with cable TV and this and this. He would send me that. A couple weeks later, he's like, oh, this is the 90s. Oh, this is the stuff about torrenting and the internet. And so at one point, I was looking at these, and I placed all of them together, and I watched it together, and I was like – you know, with the exception of making some transitional parts in the film, I'm like, this is the movie. So I said to Kyle, I go, we don't need to hire an, an editor. Like, you already did it. By nature, I try to make anybody who is helping me's job easier. So it's like, I will do whatever I can on my end to make whoever else's life easier in their realm. So I was like, oh, for the editor, who we will eventually find at some point, right? I'll just gather what we think sounds good. And it was, and I don't know. I, I mean, looking back on it now, I was like, yeah, I did like line up things correctly. Like I did what I thought was going to work, but in my mind it was for somebody else. And without realizing that it was actually for us, I kept trying to put it off of us. I tried to keep pushing accountability <laughs> off onto somebody else but it was literally i mean it was the movie that we wanted to to make and you know I, I i i wasn't ready to accept it because people told me 
that I had to do otherwise. You know, people told us, like Bill said, people told us, you're like, you're going to want an editor. You're going to want to do this. You're going to want to like do that. And I believe that I like in, in some part of me, I believe that. But then obviously the other, the other part of me was like, not really, dude, like you can sort of piece this together yourself. So it was a really wonderful lesson to, to learn. And <laughs> it was a really wonderful uh, experience to do that. I mean, the the thing about a documentary is it's like, it's, and I've used this before when talking to other people, um, it's like dumping out a thousand piece puzzle, but that puzzle also does, it's just blank. It's just like a blank white <laughs> puzzle. So it's like trying to like create your own image out of what you just dumped out. And it's, um, I, I'm really happy with how it came out editing wise. I, I think that we tell like a really cool story through there, something that people can relate to and that, you know, gets people comfortable, but also something that people haven't seen before topics that people haven't really touched on. That is really was the most beneficial thing coming out of the, the editing. So, so basically I would just send, I would just send bill some segments and bill would be like, Hey man, is that the movie or what? Um, and that was, <laughs> that was how it went. You have a real dialogue going on between the clips and the movie for quite a while in there. And where did that idea come from as far as that back and forth? I mean, a big part of it was when we were almost from the get-go when we were like, yeah, we're going to obviously need to use a lot of clips from classic films. But, like, we wanted to use trailer footage because so many cult movies are best kind of known by like these crazy trailers that they had, especially stuff from like the seventies and the early eighties with like crazy voiceovers and just like random stuff in the trails. Like, I mean, all the, those trailers are packed with the action from the films. So we were trying to think of ways to, to really kind of get around having to pay for licensing on a lot of stuff. So we're like, well, trailers are the promotional pieces that were used so if we're going to get around things this might be the best way to go but it also ended up being the best parts of a lot of those flicks so we were able to take those intertwine them in because they just worked so well with what people were saying i want to know who did the music for the film we licensed a few songs uh so if you watch when you watch the when or i know you've watched you guys will obviously watch them but when you get to see the film there's like three musical kind of like montage segments that kind of bridge from thing to thing so we licensed music from a band called September 87, which is a uh, synthwave band from Australia, which is the uh, song that kind of we've used in a lot of the promotional stuff. And it's used in the film and then also over the credits. Uh, and then there's also a band called Cold Collective, which are friends of mine uh, who gave us music from their debut record to use. And then the third song is another synthwave artist uh, named Morgan Willis, who gave us a song from his most recent record to use also. Uh, so those are like kind of like the, the like the big songs. Um, and then there's the score, which the majority of it is done by myself and my friend Jay Maz, who um, runs a studio here in Massachusetts. He was uh, the guitar player and the principal songwriter in a hardcore band called Defeater for the better part of the last decade. Um, and I've been friends with him forever. So uh, we wrote a bunch of the music together. There's a couple pieces that are just me. There's a couple pieces pieces that are just him and then there's a large chunk of pieces that are the both of us working together so it really was very much just like i kind of wrote like a moody little like kind of like synth piece like and then brought it to him and was like hey uh let's add some drums and some guitars to this and he would record some guitars and some some drums guitar tracks and that would kind of fill out the score so uh, we kind of really went with this like dark kind of like synthy but not like cheesy synth because there's a lot of synth soundtracks going around now and a lot of like the retro 80s stuff 
And I know that our film has a, like that kind of strong feel to it, but I felt like we didn't go too far with it, which was kind of important to the two of us because we realized as we were making the movie that these things are all becoming way more popular and we didn't want to just do what everybody else was doing. So we then also were like, all right, all right, well, we need a cool intro track. So I went to my friend Gus, who is a hip hop artist who goes by the name OK Doc, and we used a piece, uh, an, an instrumental piece from his uh, debut record, which hadn't been, wasn't actually released at the time. So we have this great kind of like hip hop like beat that opens the film up uh, and just kind of mixed it all together and made sure that we had a little bit of everything going on. So I felt like I needed to kind of do my part there because Kyle did all the heavy lifting on the editing. So I'm like, okay, I guess I better get in there and do most of the music. <laughs> You know, Bill comes from that background, and uh, and again, I mean, the whole genesis of this was to do something a little bit different. You know, it was the it was to do a doc, like it was to still focus on cult cinema. I mean, there's still a nostalgic factor. There's still like things that we have to talk about, but ultimately, the the end all be all is that this is a different type of cult cinema doc. So, you know, that includes footage that means that we're talking about different movies that we're talking about different eras and that includes different music that like bill and and jay and and okay doc you know gus we're all we're all willing to help out on you know so that was really cool i mean there's still there's still things that you have to you know grab people's attention with but there's also stuff that's going to be different that i think is going to set us apart from a lot of the other docs that are out there and one of the things that's really cool too is like in the in the screenings that we've had and the people that have seen the film, the two things they bring, they bring up are like, oh, who did the editing? I love the editing, and two, oh, who did the music? I love the music. So it was like, so like it's been like a real constant. So it's it's real validating to know, okay, like the two things that both of us kind of really put our main you know grit into are the things that people are 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 realizing as they watch the film. Well, I think my biggest question after I see it is, where can I get a copy of Vasectomy the movie? <laughs> I think you're only. Yeah, I think you can only get it through Chris Gore. I think he Chris might. Chris Gore's the only one. I think he might be the main, <laughs> the main peddler of that movie. I imagine that line kills every time this movie is shown. Absolutely, <laughs> it, absolutely, it does. It does every time. You know, because it's like not for anything, but it's like you know, even if it's not a crazy title. And as we we sort of allude to with the box art, it's like everybody has that one movie that sticks out, whether it's the box art or the title or just the sort of just batshit crazy instance that they've come across that movie. You know, it's like everybody has that one. But the way he the the love letter that he has for vasectomy, the movie throughout the throughout our doc is is pretty beautiful. Tell me about where the movie has played and where it's going to be playing that you know of. Full disclosure, this is sort of our first, well, because it's it's Bill's first film, and, and though it's my second, this is our first festival run in anything at all. I can't even say I've been to that many film festivals. I don't think, Bill, you've really been to too many either, you know? No, um, not really. So and this was sort of, this was sort of a brand new experience for us, but we knew that this film had an, has an audience both within a documentary world and within sort of the, the cult horror niche genre world. So when we went out there, we, we applied to a lot of festivals that have that distinction. And the first one that we got into and where we had our world premiere was Horror Hound Weekend um, in Indianapolis. So it's uh, mostly a horror convention, but they do include a film festival. And 
we've had experience with because we do come from a convention background. We've had experience with that sort of um, dichotomy before, and I don't think that. I mean, I, I'm not sure. We were excited because it was our world premiere, and we were going to like just promote the shit out of it. But I think we all also had a little bit of hesitation because sometimes horror conventions just sort of throw have a film like quote film festival but we'll throw films in a room to say that they have movies going on so that people can either go watch a movie or go sleep in the, in the, like the screening. <laughs> um, Horror Hound is not like that one bit. They like really push the film festival. They have a whole, you know, a board of people who bring the films in. They, you know, they had a filmmaker's panel. They had a filmmaker's party. They, you know, we screened uh, on a Sunday morning, the last day of a horror convention, uh, like first thing, like 11 a.m. And we like had an amazing screening. People showed up. People stayed like people didn't fall asleep. It was yeah. it was it was wonderful. Um, so that really kicked things off really, really wonderfully. And it was a nice change too, or not to say a nice change, but because I was really actually quite scared because one of my one of my best friends michael neal uh who directed um driving horror show and infinite santa uh told me he's like you know uh a lot of times he's like if you go into horror conventions that have you know film festivals like kyle said he's like there's like times where you go in and there's literally nobody watching the movie yeah. it's just the filmmaker and the projectionist there and like they play it because they have to yeah. So I was kind of scared about that, but even just the lead up to it and the communication that we got from the people with Horror Hound, it really felt like they really care about the film festival and they want to make it an important part of it. So it was um, it was one of those things where I was nervous about it, but and Kyle can attest to this too. Like the day we got there and we walked in, they knew who we were. They had passes ready and waiting for us. They were like, "Listen, if there's anything you need the entire weekend, come to us. Let us know." Uh, it could not have been a more welcoming environment. And even now after that, we're still in contact with those people. You know, they featured it in this, in the current issue of horror hound, they wrote a review of it. So it's like, they really took care of us and it was kind of surprising how well we were taken care of. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that it like, it goes, it goes both ways. It's like, we were also scared, but also on the back end of it is like, they also don't have to treat us with that. You know what I mean? It's like, because they are first and foremost, a horror convention, they don't have to treat us with sort of the respect and the, whatever you would call that, that they do now. And it's really, it's really a beautiful thing. And I think that's an, a, a, uh, that you can attribute that to it being a horror convention and the sort of the horror community, which again, we sort of have a, have a foot in. So it's been really nice to have that. And then, you know, so that was, I mean, that kicked off our momentum really wonderfully. I mean, we were nominated unknowingly. We were nominated for um, best film at that film festival, which was awesome. I mean, and, and, you know, we, we get nominated for best, uh, best film. And then Joe Dante receives a lifetime achievement award, like the right immediately after that, you know, that award ceremony. So we're like, man, this is like, life is crazy. <laughs> life is crazy, dude. And then, you know, so then, uh, you know, we go back local and Arlington, Massachusetts, there was the undue divergent film awards, which is, it was a first year awards. You know, we, we heard about it through a friend of ours, we submitted not really knowing much, but like being in New England, we were like, this would be cool, this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, we walk out of there with, with best movie and best documentary. And it's just the, the momentum is, is really wonderful. I mean, the most recent thing that we went to was the Shauna Shea Memorial Film Festival, 
was probably our most fun screening. It was it was a Saturday night. It was the end of the festival. Like you know, we were put between two blocks of shorts that were both killer, and um, it was just a it was just a really great crowd. And I think every screening that we've had, you know, whether it be eleven a.m. or <laughs> or you know seven p.m. or whatever, has really gotten the the crowd and the audience uh, excited about cult film, and that's all we could ever want. When we first kind of started submitting to festivals, like we were kind of getting denied for a few things, and it was like kind of a kind of a kind of a bummer because like, you don't ever want to be rejected for anything. But you got to remember, like, there's so many movies out there, and you know, every film festival has you know its expectations, and you know, there's always other stuff going on. So right. um, it was kind of like you know, like, oh man, what's going on? But you know, we got into Horror Hound, and now it's like we've won a couple of awards, and it seems like it's like this domino like effect of like we hit that first that first screening and now they're all going down because it feels like every day we're adding something else the month of october is like every weekend and like it's like multiple screenings in different parts of the country mm-hmm. just like in the next few weeks alone we're going to be in las vegas we're going to be in salem mass we're going to be in atlanta we're going to be in knoxville tennessee for one of the you know one of the coolest fests i think i've seen going the knoxville horror festival uh, Harvest Festival, and then you know later this later this year we'll be in San Francisco, and there's just like all kinds of stuff coming up. Yeah, yeah, it, it's been it's been a kind of a whirlwind, but it's been really exciting. Uh, again, especially this sort of being our first foray into into this environment. Both Knoxville Horror Fest and and Sin City Horror Fest are um, are the same weekend. So Sin City is in Las Vegas, and that's the first one that we've got going on. And Sin City will be on Friday, October 19th. And that's at 5.30 p.m. Uh, it's at the Brandon Palms, Casi- um, the Palms Casino, but the Brandon Theater at Palms. And that's at 5.30. And, that's- and what, what, is that, uh, what is that screening directly before, Kyle? <laughs> so it, we, we start after the first shorts block, but we screen directly before their screening of John Carpenter's Halloween, which... Not that like that like bugged us out like that was that was a craziness to to be able to screen our documentary before one of the all time greats is a really really cool thing. I don't know. That's one thing, but can you say that you're screening before something like I don't know, Clownado, something that really matters? We'll get to that momentarily, <laughs> but uh, we're not going to be in attendance for the Vegas screening, which we're actually pretty bummed about because it was one of the ones we were looking forward to. Because, like, I mean, who the hell doesn't want to go to Las Vegas for the weekend? But uh, we put in some calls, and Graydon Clark will be uh, in attendance of our screening uh, at the Sin City Festival. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think I mean Sin City. I think this, this is their second year, and they they've already got a wonderful thing going. I mean, there's not. It's hard to get an event going and going well in Las Vegas, I can imagine. So the fact that they sort of got the second year, they got a good lineup. I mean, they they look like they're really doing it right, and it's a bummer that we can't be there, but um, we're excited to be a part of it nonetheless. And sort of sort of kick things off like right after that shorts block, you know. It's and then right before John Carpenter's Halloween, it's pretty great. So that that is uh, Friday, the uh, October nineteenth. We do we are going. We can make it to Knoxville Horror Fest because it is. It's not close to us, but it is driving distance, so we can um, we can sort of make it down there for that one. And that screening is on October twenty Sunday, October twenty first at three forty five p.m. Um, again in Knoxville, Tennessee. We are uh, immediately after the man who killed Hitler, then the Bigfoot. Uh, I'm not sure if I get 
every word in that title correct, but that's sort of the gist of that one. We're screening with some friends. Like, there's a shorts block right before us. We're screening with some friends of ours, uh, JK, uh, Jill Six, and we're excited to see this one, Blood Spook, which has AJ Bowen in it. And then immediately after us is Shockwave Live with Elric Kane, who I believe has been been uh, on your show at some point in time. So we will have uh, a good Sunday screening uh, at Knoxville. And then we come back to New England, and then on Saturday the 27th, we are at the first annual uh, Witch City Horror Film Festival in Salem, Massachusetts, which will be a blast to be in Salem for Halloween weekend. Uh, I've never been up there at all, let alone for Halloween weekend, so that'll be very cool. And then Start looking for a parking space now. Yeah, for real. For real. I might start walking, uh, just, to be, just to be honest with you. It's probably crazy up there. The one that was just announced is uh, Buried Alive Film Festival down in Atlanta. Their, I believe their 13th year. And we are going to be screening on Sunday, November 18th at 2 p.m. Uh, right before Todd Sheets' Clownado, which is the, the, world, <laughs> the world premiere of Todd Sheets' Clownado. We've got a busy month and a half. Um, oh, we've with- got a, we supposedly have a screening in New York City, too, on the final weekend of the month. Uh, we don't have details on it, so. Yeah, I'm not sure what that looks like, but there potentially will be something in New York. And then we might have some a couple things towards, a couple things to fill out November, a couple things towards the end of the year. We'll see what happens, but uh, it's been, it's been kind of a whirlwind since we since we kicked things off in august and that is the news so for people who aren't in any of these cities or can't make it out to there do you have like a timeline where you say okay a year from the day that we premiered at horror hound we're gonna release this on blu-ray or streaming or any of these other formats that we've talked about over this the discussion of survival of the film freaks yeah, those, I mean, people, I, those people should move is what they yeah, should do. Yeah, I mean, I think these are all wonderful metropolitan areas. I mean, there's plenty of housing they, in Vegas. Yeah, I think they can get their asses out. Uh, no, we have, we have um, I, I think we're, we are, and, and I don't want anybody to hold us to it because uh, there's obviously things that come up and, and things happen, but we are aiming to get this out hopefully by next spring, either streaming or physical or both. I, I think that they... Anybody who sees the documentary, even just for hearing from us talk about it, knows that there's a technological aspect to it. We don't want to just sort of sit on a documentary that has sort of time, almost time sensitive content at the pace that uh, that technology is moving now. We don't want to sort of sit on the things that could ultimately change and and change the definition of the documentary before it comes out. We want to at least get it out to people so that they know that it exists and, and is referring to a certain time and place before technology just uh, eats us alive. Uh, so, so we're, I yes. think we're aiming for, we're aiming for, uh, for next spring. Um, we're going to see what sort of comes of these, these festivals and see who we talk to and get our stuff together to, to get it out to the world. Yeah. We're, we're really lucky too, because the film is done, so it's not like we have to really worry about somebody having to come in and do a whole bunch of work to it, you know. Right. Depending right. on who it ends up with, you know, there may be some changes. We don't, you know, you never know what's what's going to happen. If we do a blue, like a, a Blu-ray, we may need to gather together some, you know, stuff for bonus content and stuff like that. But the world we live in right now, where you know, documentary film 
filmmaking and nonfiction filmmaking is really big business. Like thanks to places like Netflix and, uh, you know, like uh, Hulu and these people that do these like do documentary series and like they're your own produced documentaries. There's this whole like market for this type of filmmaking that wasn't nearly at the level that it's at now, you know, mm-hmm. even just two years ago. Right. So, um, there's, you know, there's so many avenues for us to go. We know that we're going to be able to get it out to people. And when we do decide where it's going to go and who it's going to go with, you know, it'll be able to be done fairly quickly. We don't have to wait like, you know, a year, like a few, like we would even had to a couple of years ago where like, you know, like a foreign movie would re- would be released in Spain, for example. And then we had to wait three years because there was going to be a U.S. remake of it. That's like you can get it out there and get it out to everybody very quickly. So I think, like Kyle said, yeah, like Spring is 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 a very achievable thing. But we also want to give the film its due because we've never done a real festival run before. So it's doing really well on the festival run so far. You know, we're we're playing alongside like the the festival darlings. You know, like the Ranger. We've already had two screenings at different festivals with the Ranger. So like we're 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 playing festivals with people that want to see these types of movies so we want to right. make sure that we really kind of give it that it it's all before we just because you could we could very easily dump it onto amazon prime tomorrow you know mm-hmm. but like i want to make sure that we give it the time to really kind of be the film that we want it to be if that yeah and and to sort of not not to you know blow up an ego any but like this is something that i think we want to continue doing not necessarily in the documentary field but just in in a creative filmmaking field. I mean, obviously for me, it's, it's sort of been there. And I think Bill, uh, the bug has bit you, you know? So it's like, <laughs> we have, we have things that we want to do. And I want to stop doing my stupid podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like we want to, we want to be out there and we want to talk to people. And I mean, that's, that's sort of in our nature as humans anyway, like as people that is sort of in our nature. And the fact that now we have sort of something to connect on and to, to promote and to, you know, present to the world is is our uh door into this and it's um i mean we yeah we could just dump it but we want to we want to give it its proper run we've put a lot of work into it um and we want to get it out there and and of course we want to you know the the people who are accepting it and who are showing it at their at their film festivals i mean i know it's not easy to curate a, a 20 film or less, you know, festival on a weekend. Um, so it really means a lot that they, that they want to show our, our documentary alongside whatever else that they choose. So it's, it's been really, it's been really cool. And, and we want to like be able to support them supporting us by showing up at the festivals whenever we can, you know, like I, unfortunately we can't make it to Sin City, but we'll do everything we can to, to make sure people know that we're out there. You know, this is, this is sort of our baby, you know? I'm so happy to have had a baby with Bill. It's really a beautiful thing. It's a good-looking kid. So where can people go to find out more about these screenings, keep up with this, to know when the Blu-ray's coming out, all that kind of stuff? The best thing to do is, uh, I mean, social media is sort of a king here, so the best thing to do is to find us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash survival of the film freaks, or just... Just go, just search Survival of the Film Freaks. It'll come up. Um, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at Film Freaks Movie. Um, we do have a site that we sort of update periodically. It's just, you know, the, the social media sort of rules um, everything else that we do. We, do. we are on YouTube. You can search Survival of the Film Freaks. We've been posting. We were, before we started going on this festival run, we were posting little tidbits here and there, Film Freak Extras. So you can catch up with what's going on there. But the best thing to do is just stay stay in touch on social media. Um, 
and we we were pretty good at keeping that posted. Anyway, you know, like I said, it's been a whirlwind. Uh, it's been a whirlwind month, but we're posting everything there um, so far. And it seems like Bill, you mention survival of the film freaks every once in a great while on outside the cinema, or or every single week. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Outside of Cinema still does weekly episodes. They come out Wednesday afternoons. Um, so I usually do a, at least a quick update when we kind of do like the housekeeping and stuff at the beginning of the show on what's happening. So if there's any changes in the scheduling or anything like that, that's a good place if you want to you wanna hear it rather than um, do the work yourself and find it on the Internet. Well, Kyle and Bill, thank you so much for your time, guys. Mike, oh, thanks for anytime, man. And thanks for all your help on the flick. I mean, we, we have, this is, this wouldn't have happened without you. So like, thanks for, thanks for working so hard on the flick too. I couldn't have done it without you guys.
If you enjoy this show and want more people to know about it, head on over to iTunes, leave a comment, and rate it five stars. Make sure you like and share us on Facebook, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Just search for Christopher Media. Thank you in advance for supporting Christopher Media by clicking on the PayPal button and by clicking through to all the sponsors who support ChristopherMedia.net. Most importantly, we would like to take the time to extend an extra special thanks to you. Christopher Media could not exist without your support. Thank you for visiting ChristopherMedia.net, and thank you for listening. Christopher Media, let's make some noise.